Well, today is the final Sunday of our series, We Will Remember. And today especially, we remember all the Anzacs who served in the Gallipoli campaign during World War I, as well as the sacrifice made by all the Australians who have followed in their footsteps, serving in wars and conflicts and peacekeeping operations. We commemorate the hardships, the extensive injuries and suffering and the tragic loss of so many lives. We commemorate the courage, the endurance and the camaraderie of those in our Australian Defence Force. We are the beneficiaries of democracy and today we remember the price that was paid for our freedom. The definition of freedom is this. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Other dictionaries have defined freedom as the power to exercise choice and make decisions without constraint. You see, freedom is one of the strongest desires of the human soul. It is the most sought after commodity. Men and women all throughout history have given their lives, their assets, their wealth in order to be free. If you think about it, it was the desire for freedom that led the Israelites who were enslaved by the Egyptians to walk through a parted Red Sea. It was the desire for freedom that Zerubbabel led 50,000 Jews out of Babylon and into Jerusalem after being held in captivity for 70 years. It was the desire for freedom that British Lieutenant Airy Neve, a prisoner of war, escaped the Colditz Castle in Germany. Disguising himself as a German officer, he walked right outside of the gate. It was the desire for freedom that led Rosa Parks to refuse to give up her seat for a white male, even though she knew she was about to be arrested. It was the desire for freedom that led Oscar Schindler, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. to establish movements for civil rights and freedoms right across the world. Freedom is one of, if not the greatest desire of the human soul. But how many of us know today that freedom is never free? And as we've been hearing about over Anzac Day weekend, there is always a price to be paid. Billy Hughes, the Prime Minister that led the country through World War I, said Australia paid for freedom and safety. Our heritage, our free institutions of government, all that we hold dear are handed back into our keeping, stained with bl the blood of sacrifice. Freedom is never free. If someone was to hold you hostage, they, they wouldn't let you go easily. They wouldn't just open the door and say, here, just walk on out of here. No, there would be a ransom. There would be a payment for your freedom. And often when we use the word freedom today, it sounds nice and it sounds inspiring. But in reality, the transaction is often brutal. In fact, the transaction often involves blood. And you know, we sit here today comfortable and secure, living in our home, driving our car, speaking our mind, having our opinions, even gathering together for worship. And we quickly forget that someone died for us to be able to have these freedoms. Thousands of Australians who listed to fight in the, world war, in the First World War did so because they believed our liberties were under threat. They fought for the democracy that we experience today. But it is so easy for us to forget this. It is so easy for us to take for granted the way in which we live, the way in which our society operates. Why? Because for many of us, we haven't had to pay the price. 
It hasn't costed us a great deal. You see, the generation that sheds the most blood has an appreciation for freedom. But two or three generations later, those that are born into freedom don't entirely understand the cost. They don't identify with the price that has been paid and therefore don't appreciate the freedom that they have. Our service men and women who fought in wars and battles, those who have shed their blood, those that have experienced loss and sacrifice have a deep appreciation for freedom. They value freedom. If I could say this this morning, value is determined by sacrifice. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about sacrificing for something that we value. We all know that. For example, relationships. We sacrifice for the relationships that we value. And every spouse in the room and online is probably nodding their head right now. But this morning, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that there are things that we don't value until we make the sacrifice. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Many people interpret this scripture as saying, well, whatever has your heart, whatever you value, well, th- well that's where your treasure will be. That, you know, that's what you'll sacrifice for. And although that is true, that's actually not what Jesus is saying in this text. Jesus just didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure is. He said that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Notice that the treasure comes first, the sacrifice comes first, and then your heart will follow. I don't know about you, but whenever I've paid a high price for something, I am so much more invested. You know, for many years, I remember I would buy sunglasses from Cotton On, just the cheap ones. They costed around $5. Some of them may even cost cost around $2. But I would always lose them. I would always lose them. I never know where they went. And you know why? Because I didn't really care. They didn't cost me a whole lot. But when I spent money on my Ray-Bans, when I bought those Ray-Bans, my goodness, was I invested. I wore them like no tomorrow and I would make sure they were in their little case and I would have to clean them all the time and I never let them out of my sight. You see, I valued them because they cost me something. Value is determined by sacrifice. For a number of years now, I've been officiating weddings. And as a minister, I don't charge. It is a free gift. People do give me vouchers and the like, but overall, it is free. And something that I have noticed is that for a lot of the couples, because they aren't paying, they don't treat the process as committed, and they're not as committed to the process as they would be if they were paying $1,200. So maybe they're not replying to emails or they're not sending through documentation on time. And it's because they are not valuing the process because they haven't had to pay. And so many times I have thought, why can't they see how much this is costing me? I'm organizing all these legal papers. I'm spending hours. I was writing the ceremony and running around making sure things are signed. But you see, for those couples, they never understood how much it actually cost me because I never made them pay. And I wonder today if that's the same for us. At times we don't understand how much our freedom actually cost because we never had to pay. And can I tell you this morning, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. You see, there are two types of freedom, natural freedom and spiritual freedom. 
For example, it's possible to be free in the natural, but still be spiritually bound. And in the same way, it's possible to be captured in the natural, but free in spirit. When the Apostle John was exiled to Patmos Island for being a Christian ministry, a ministry, missionary, I don't know why I could not say that. He was exiled to Patmos Island for being a Christian missionary. And he said, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, Revelation 1.10. In other words, his body was trapped in a cave. He was physically in prison, but he was free in spirit. And all through the Bible, we see a focus not only on natural freedom, but in the New Testament, we see a focus on spiritual freedom. The spiritual freedom one can find in Christ. And if I could say this this morning, that God is more concerned with freeing you in your spirit than He is in freeing you in your physical situation. For God wants to first change you on the inside and rearrange your internal condition before arranging your external affairs. But in order to be free in spirit, a price needed to be paid. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. The message version puts it this way, to give away His life in exchange for many who are held hostage. And something that we need to remind ourselves of today is that Jesus left the comfort of heaven to take on the form of a mere human. We know this as the incarnation. And then He spent His entire earthly life walking all the way to a cross. And on that cross, He shed His blood. He paid the highest price for our freedom. Paul emphasises this in the letter to the Ephesians by saying we have redemption through His blood. Our freedom the bond, from the bondage of sin cost Jesus His blood. From the very beginning of time, ever since the fall, the price for sin has always been blood. And we see it all through the Old Testament from Genesis to Leviticus. The patriarchs of our faith offered sacrifice after sacrifice for they were aware of their sin and knew the price that needed to be paid. They shed the blood of an innocent animal in order to live in temporary freedom. They knew if they were going to come before God, well, then something had to bleed. And as graphic as it is, our gospel is full of blood and sacrifice from God killing an animal in the Garden of Eden to cover up Adam's sin all the way through to the book of Revelation. Worthy is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It's bloody. When the Israelites would sacrifice an animal, they had to kill it themselves. They had to hold their hand on that shaking animal and hear it scream. And while it cried out, while it was dying, it was bloody, it was messy, it was horrific. The fact that that animal had to take on the penalty of that person's sin. But I believe this was done because God wanted His children to know the price of freedom. He wanted them to know how much it cost to come into the presence of God so that we would never take it for granted, so that we would never take for granted the fact that we have access into the very presence of our God. And of course, those animal sacrifices, they never pleased God. They only appeased Him. They were simply a band-aid until the ultimate sacrifice that was found in Jesus Christ. Did you know when the Israelites would enter the tabernacle, this is in the Old Testament, the first thing that they would see was blood. 
It was the altar of burnt offerings. And in the same way, when we first enter into the gospel story, the very first thing we see is blood. It is the sacrifice of Jesus. We sing it in our songs. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus sets us free from the bondage of sin. I want you to hear this today. The death and resurrection of Jesus hasn't just paid for our sins. It has completely removed them. The Gospel um, of John describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is freedom. And when the Gospel writers would refer to freedom, they weren't referring to political freedom, which the Greeks were so interested in. They weren't referring to the inner philosophical freedom that the Stoics would focus on for they would abandon themselves to circumstance. They weren't referring to the freedom which the devout Jews found through observing the law. And they definitely weren't referring to the freedom of separating oneself from the material world, which was found in Gnostic thought. They were referring to the freedom found in Jesus Christ, a freedom from the power and penalty of sin, from ceremonial laws and regulations, a free from the spiritual bondage and slavery of the law. They were referring to a freedom that nobody can take away from us and nobody can give us except for Jesus. And as we come together today and we join in online, it means that we can be free from guilt and shame, free from bitterness and worry, from manipulation and control, free from legalism and religiosity. We no longer have to succumb to the destructive, our destructive ways of thinking and competing with others or worrying about people's opinions and drowning in condemnation. No, we are free from all of that. And not only are we free from, but we are free to become. We are free to become all that Christ has called us to be, to become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's very own possession, a people filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the love of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. It is for this life of freedom that Christ has set us free. But here's the thing. There is a big difference between being set free and living a life of freedom. The first was done by Jesus. The second, we must choose to do ourselves by His strength and His grace. The perfect example of this is when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt. On the one hand, they were set free. They were free from captivity. But on the other hand, they were still in the wilderness. They weren't living in the freedom of the promised land. And it took them over 40 years to enter Canaan. It should have only taken them 11 days, but it took them 40 years. Why? Because they settled for deliverance and not freedom. And I wonder today if you have settled for deliverance. You know that you've received salvation, but you're not work, walking in the fullness of God's promises. There is a big difference between being set free and living a life of freedom. When I was 19 years old, I recommitted my life to Jesus. And in that moment, I was set free. 
but I was still bound by fear, bound by acts of the flesh. And it wasn't until many years later when I started actually reading the Word of God and I received prayer that that spirit of fear left me. And when that oppression lifted, I suddenly realised the freedom that Christ died for me to have. You see, He not only died for me to be saved and to receive salvation, but He died so that I would have a lifestyle of freedom, that this freedom would affect every part of my being, soul, spirit and body. But you see, for so many of us, we aren't living the life that Christ died for us to have. We're still in bondage to what other people think of us. We're chasing after things instead of God. We're envying envying others. We're trapped in lustful thoughts and pornography. We can't let go of the mistakes and the hurts of our past. Can I tell you today that the blood of Jesus gives us a life beyond our past? And I get it. Some of us have been through the most devastating circumstances, but we are not a victim. We are not victims. Jesus died on a cross and became a victim in order for us to be victors, to live a life of victory. Whatever has been done to you is not bigger than what Jesus has done for you. The cross of Christ reconciles us. It restores us. It enables us to live a life of victory and freedom. Joshua said to the Israelites just before they entered the promised land, meditate on the Word of God day and night. I want to submit to you today that the reason why some of us are not experiencing victory in our life, the reason why some of us aren't living the life of freedom is because we're not meditating on the truth of God's Word. How much of the Word is inside of you? My husband always reminds me that, you know, we have more access, more resource and accessibility to the Bible than any other generation. And yet we are the most biblically illiterate generation. We need to be in the Word of God every day. Relying on a Sunday service is not enough. As great as Pastor Sean's teaching and theology is, it is not enough. We need to be filling ourselves with the Word. And not only do we need to be filling ourselves with the Word, we need to believe it and we need to obey it. In John 8, 31, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of Jews and and He says, If you continue in My Word, other translations say, If you hold to My teaching, then you are truly My disciples and you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We need to know the truth in order to be set free. How will we ever live a life of freedom if we don't know what freedom is available to us? If we don't know what Jesus accomplished through His death and resurrection? Can I remind you today in the words of the Bible teacher, Derek Prince, that on that skull-shaped hill known as Golgotha, Jesus was punished so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was wounded so that we could be healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we may be made righteous with His righteousness. He tasted death so we could share His life. He became a curse so that we could receive blessing. Jesus endured our poverty so that we could share His abundance. He endured our shame so that we could receive His glory and He experienced rejection so that we could have the acceptance He had from the Father. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is what Jesus paid for. And the heart of our King is not that we would pay Him back for what He did, but that we would live the life He died for us to live. If I could say that just again, the heart of our King is not that we would pay Him back for what we did, but that we would live the life He died for us to live. And so today, let's make that our declaration. 
that we will not only remember the price that was paid for our freedom, both in the natural and the spiritual, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will live the life that Jesus died for us to live. And as I close this morning, if you are here or you are online and you're watching this and you've never heard about this man named Jesus, who we call God, you've never heard about Him before. Well, I want to tell you that just because you've never heard about Him doesn't mean that He doesn't know you. Jesus knows exactly who you are. And He loves you so much that He went all the way to the cross, as we've been hearing this morning, to be able to set you free to be able to give you a life, an eternal life full of purpose and hope and meaning and destiny and blessing to be forgiven from every wrong past, present and future. Or maybe you have heard of Jesus, but you wouldn't say that you're following Him. You wouldn't say that you're in a relationship with God. Or this morning, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I made that decision many years ago and it has forever changed my life for the better.